We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. Now, today's guests we have met before as they are the arrangers and orchestrators of the studio recording of Clico, a revolutionary musical, which was released in April of 2023. We talked about uh, Clico the last time, but let's get to know more about them and what exactly does an arranger and orchestrator do. Let's delve into their careers with today. Today's guests, Frank Galliano and Matt Castle. Frank, Matt, welcome back. Hello, Paul. How you doing? Good, thanks. Well, I'm I'm glad that you came back on because I know last time we talked about Clico itself, but I want to get to know you guys a little bit better. You know what you do and and uh, how you met and all that fun stuff. And yeah, I am curious about arranging and orchestrating as well. So let's delve in before we do. Like I said. We did it last time. We did the 30-second bio, but I'm going to assume everybody's listened to that recording. So, Frank, 15 seconds on the clock. Who are you in 15 seconds since we already got to meet you? Uh, I am a theater artist um, and uh, with a specialization or focus in music. Uh, so I started out as an actor and found that I had more interesting things to say in the music world and directing and and behind the table than being on stage. So I'm living the dream. How's that? <laughs> Perfect. 15 <laughs> seconds. That was, I think exactly. Uh, Matt, can you duplicate that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what should I say? I didn't mention this before, but um, I was in a Broadway show where I was an actor and a musician at the same time. That was kind of that was pretty wonderful. Um, that was the revival of Company in 2006, directed by John Doyle. And uh, that was the highlight so far of my performing career. We'll see what other highlights remain to be uh, achieved in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So, Frank, again, let's start with you. Were you always into musical theater growing up, or was that something you discovered a little bit later in life? Always is almost accurate. Um, I had the, I well, I shouldn't say anything too. Uh, let me let me try that again. Um, I grew up in South Florida, and I was in Catholic school uh, until sixth grade. But miraculously, when I was eight years old, my Catholic school took us on a field trip to see a production of Oliver performed by a local children's theater. So it was children performing for other children and it blew my mind. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, The Wizard of Oz, maybe the film I had seen as a kid, but I that was my first time like actually consciously understanding what musical theater was being in the space. And I came home and I said, Ma, you gotta I have to do this I found my calling like that day I knew that day this is what I was going to do with the rest of my life I thought you know I'd be on stage which I have done but she literally called up the same theater and enrolled me in classes like immediately so I started uh you know learning about theater at eight years old um and I started doing professional theater when I was um 10 or 11 
uh, there wasn't a ton of it in Florida, but I did some. Um, and I knew I'm going to go to New York. I actually dropped out of college in, uh, <laughs> I didn't, anyway, I was, I had a lot of experience and they didn't want to, they wanted to break you down and build you back up. And I wasn't really interested in that. So I said, how about I leave here and go to New York and do it my own, on my own. So I did that and have been pursuing my own weird version of being a theater artist since then. So I've been in New York since 2000, um, just making my life. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> and Matt, what about you? Always in a musical theater? Does that answer your question? <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> um, Matt, yeah. I don't, I don't remember my first musical. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really don't. Um, they, that was always just part of the scenery in the house I grew up in. Um, they were on TV, on reruns. They were, uh, we, my parents were taking me to the theater from as early an age as I could be trusted to sit still and pay attention, which was pretty young. <laughs> I think the first musical I saw live was South Pacific starring Nancy Dussault at Music Circus in Sacramento, which is my hometown. And I remember being fascinated and amazed that she could wear a microphone and wash her hair under running water on stage. To this day, I've never looked into how they pulled that off. I, I don't know what magic they uh, they do in the South Pacific to, to pull off that effect. Um, but uh, I, I don't think I made it to the end of that show. There's a lot of, a lot of thinking and a lot of sitting for a little kid. Uh, but uh, the parts that I was awake for that weren't past my bedtime. I remember <laughs> really loving. Um, but uh, I think what I always responded to about musicals was something I respond to about music in general, which is that it moves through time and it is, um, it doesn't mean something literal music. It means whatever it, whatever the sounds tr trigger in your associative memory and your, your kind of emotional imagination. So maybe you're seeing pictures in your mind, or maybe you're just having feelings or remembering things, and there is no right or wrong answer. So uh, I've always loved that it means something different to every person who experiences it, and everybody is right hmm. um, because it's because it's you. Ephemeral. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is no right or wrong way to be you. You just do it, and uh, music sort of symbolizes that for me uh, when you put. A situation a literal story with characters and um things that they want and things that they're fighting for and put lyrics that do have concrete meaning then it becomes more specific um and uh, kind of a finer point on everything and i've always enjoyed that i enjoy opera i enjoy songs on the radio anything with lyrics i, I respond to but really all music is a story for me very cool i'm always curious um was there anything else, a career path that you thought you might gone down? Just you're something that you thought, oh, if I hadn't gone into arts, maybe I would have gone into this. Frank, is there is there a, something you thought maybe I'm going into? My family always thought I should be a lawyer, but I think that's just because I'm excellent at bullshitting. So that felt very natural. I I was never really interested in that. Um, I vaguely interested in medicine because I enjoy math and science, but I, it never, it was, it never stood a chance because the theater and I have always had a hot and heavy romance. So <laughs> Matt, 
Um, Matt, have you always been hot and heavy with theater as well, or is that is there something else? <laughs> well, I I've really almost every dime I've ever earned in my life has been through music, one way or another, as an accompanist or as a conductor or a singer or a opera coach, opera coach, like whatever. It's always been some form of music making. So. Have I ever imagined doing something else? Well, COVID made me have to made me have to sort of contemplate what that would mean, mm -hmm. and I came to the startling d discovery <clears throat> that I don't really know how to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that there was no field for us for about a year and a half um, was very concerning. But um, having said all that, when I first started school, I I did contemplate something that seemed more like a real world idea. Uh, I, I didn't know how many careers there were available in music. So with my limited exposure to that concept, um, I thought maybe I should have something that is more practical and considered communicative disorders as a major, um, mm. as in speech therapy. Nice. Um, that's a, a field that I find interesting, but I, I don't think it was ever my life's calling. Very nice. Well, we know when Frank well, go, go. got what? Go on. No, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna say we know when Frank went to New York. When did so, Matt? When did you make the trek from the West Coast to the East Coast? I made it little by little, and um, with a couple of U-turns along the way. Um, <laughs> my first trip east. I, I grew up in California, as as you know. Um, my first trip east from California was for grad school. I went to get my master's in Northern Illinois University, um, lived there for two years and had a wonderful experience, and then returned to California with still no idea what I was gonna do with myself. Um, recovered from grad school, which took about two years, <laughs> moved back uh, to the Midwest again, this time to Iowa City, where I was on the music faculty for a year as an opera coach at University of Iowa. Um, and then in 2000, same year that Frank moved to New York, uh, though we did not know each other at the time, uh, I, I moved to New York and uh, roomed with a friend from college who was living there. Um, and we lived maybe five blocks apart in a in a part of New York that no one lives. No so theater person no, anyway. Yeah, no one I've ever met except him ever lived there. So <laughs> when we found out years later that we both started our New York journey in, in Briar Briarwood, Queens, <laughs> we were both like, okay okay um and i think we moved there within a couple of months of each other like i moved in i think march of uh 2000 and you moved in like the fall right in the summer September, yeah oh, august or something yeah so wow <laughs> just a funny coincidence that's crazy so so frank moving from florida to new york what was how was that what was that like moving what how did you find the experience was it different from florida Let's be honest, probably oh, is. But, um... <laughs> but I, my family is all from New York. Like my mm -hmm. parents were both born in, my dad was born in Brooklyn and my mom was born in Long Island. Um, and my grandparents were all born in Brooklyn. So New York was not a place that was unfamiliar to me, but I didn't, I had never lived there. And anytime we would visit, it was like, you, you know, drive through Manhattan and go to Long Island to visit family. So Long Island and Florida are not that different um, in that in there because it's, you know, more suburban and, you know, there's the mall and all the things that people do to spend time were sort of the same. But I didn't want to live in Long Island. I wanted to live in New York because I wanted to, you know, be a part of that community that you can't really get 
I mean, there are some other places you can do theater, but if you're going to, I just knew I had to be in New York. So, but I was lucky that I had family only 50 miles east or whatever that if, you know, if I <laughs> was sad or broke or both, I could get on the Long Island Railroad and I would get a lot of pasta and a lot of, you know, delicious food and wine and reassurance. Um, so it was, it was a good Good system. <laughs> I would say about New York compared to both of those places and compared to where I'm from, that um, the the main difference that jumps out at me is New York City is about new energy flowing into it all the time, which is um, kind of necessary to the city. It's It's millions of people literally squished into a tiny place um so it's not a desirable environment to be in if you unless you're a bazillionaire but (laughs) but even so like (laughs) peace and quiet and a sense of your personal bubble being sovereign and inviolate is uh is a really rare experience it comes at a high premium in new york so it's not about relaxing it's about stimulation which is what i was desperate for yeah 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 um and i experienced new york as like a giant battery that is constantly being charged. And I I put a lot of energy into the city, but I also draw a lot off it. Um, and so anybody who who thrives in that high exchange of energy will feed on New York uh, and will thrive there. Anybody who it's just too much and too tiring will not want to be there. And uh, I respect that, but um, it that high energy thing, that stimulation is what drew both of us there in the first place. Now, we know you live really close to each other in Queens. The question is, how did the two parallel lines of Matt and Frank finally intersect? Through theater. <laughs> um, I was in a show that Matt subbed for The Pianist for six weeks or something yeah. Yeah. in 2005. Um, and we became fast friends. And uh, I hired him <laughs> to come and record um instrumental tracks for a show because I have a I had have I guess still have a, a business where I have created backing tracks for high schools and community theaters. That's kind of how I learned orchestration was by recording other people's work and analyzing it and figuring out what I liked and what I didn't like and what I wished it would do. Um so we recorded show a uh, this show together and we knew in that moment we would always be friends because we got like we were insta friends we really got each other (laughs) but we didn't really like after that Matt went to Cincinnati to do the company of the show that he did uh, eventually came to Broadway with um and I just went along my my life and we reconnected a house yeah I don't want to talk about that but (laughs) but but our our paths re intersected uh in 2008 and we were both single and we were still real you know we still really enjoyed being around each other it just became more than friends <laughs> and we've been together ever since so and have been working together pretty much since the get-go yeah because working together working. was part of our original bond yeah right nice so then you bring that up what's it like to work with somebody that you're with is it is it an easy thing? Well, now now you're going to say this in front of each other, so you have to be careful. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I, I don't think I can say anything about it generally because I only have this one experience. I, I've never before this had a relationship with somebody who I worked with, at least not all the time. Uh, I've had other relationships where we do a concert together or something like that. But um, even that was never particularly fun or easy in my experience. With with Frank and me, it's always rewarding, always. Um, uh, what, there's a lot of things I could say about it. One that is- Choose your words carefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, one that is really super valuable is we have each other to, to test ideas out on. So um, we we do a lot of throwing spaghetti at the wall. Um, not real spaghetti, we eat that. But uh, we <laughs> we're unafraid to say a crummy idea in front of each other. Um, because we believe in blue sky wishing first. Mm -hmm. So like get all the ideas going, don't say no to anything. And it's great to have each other who are so trustworthy because we know each other's best and worst ideas. Uh, we've, we've heard them all. Um, we and, also, and then we can edit for each other. Yeah. We have a lot of overlap in our, what's like the things that we enjoy the, the, the musicals and plays and movies and like there's a lot of overlap in the things that we bring as our like that informs what we do or how we hear and see the world but there's also enough that I don't do that he does or vice versa that there's a lot of room for both of our individual brains as well as our giant collective brain <laughs> I don't, does that make any sense? I thought was a weird way to say it. We have similar tastes. That like, too. We respond to the same kinds of things. That's part of what made us friends was the yeah. like, oh, Forbidden Broadway. I love Forbidden Broadway. Quote, 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 laugh, hilarious. You know, that was our, that's what made us know, oh, I see you. You see me. <laughs> uh, a lot of times, um, you know how when you get really involved in a project, you at some point descend down to the molecular molecular level of the work and then it, you're into lose like perspective. you lose perspective because you're into dotting i's and crossing t's and you're like what was i even writing about i don't remember so uh, another advantage to to us working together is that when one is down in the weeds doing the the detail work the other one can kind of outlie um and and keep the bigger picture in mind um which helps us keep from getting lost Right now, Frank is in the weeds on the thing that we're trying to figure out. So I'm consciously sitting back a little bit so that I can just hear the big effect and say, what's the story you're telling? Let's return to that square one because uh, you're a little stuck on 16th notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd rather be stuck on 16th notes than pretty much anything else. So yeah. I'm very grateful what we get to do with our with our life it's amazing well let's let's talk about that and, and arranging and orchestrating so exactly what is arranging what is orchestrating i don't know is there a difference i'd never know there probably is but let's talk about yeah. arranging and then orchestrating um i'm so basically arranging is taking whatever the composer gives us which is generally or the writers give us which is always a melody always lyrics and 
uh, to varying degrees an accompaniment. So sometimes it's just a chord symbol. Sometimes it's a, a single note. Sometimes it's a fully fleshed out piano part that you could perform and nobody would think anything is missing. Um, and all of those we've gotten from a gamut, like the gamut of writers, like people who are very successful, who have no way of writing or reading sheet music that's just not in their wheelhouse to somebody who's very proficient at that, but doesn't have the time or the energy to do their own arranging or orchestration. So we receive this original material and arranging, arranging is basically taking what they've given us and fleshing it out, adding accompaniment, adding counterpoint, um, adding some additional lines that will eventually go to other instruments besides the piano, you know, and not, not to a vocal. Sometimes we add vocal harmony. Sometimes we add vocal counterpoint using their music and lyrics, but taking that and saying, well, what if the altos had an echo here, but it, it, here are the notes. What would the lyrics be? We, we give it back to them. It's, it's kind of expanding on what they've already done sometimes pairing it back if we get something that is really busy um, and we've talked to the director and we talked to the writers and what they ultimately want is for it to be more simplistic or more, you name it. We just, we're kind of following a directive. Um, so for me, the the essence of arranging is adding or subtracting notes, uh, adding or adding to or subtracting from the notes that the composer gave us on the page. Um, if we add any notes that weren't there, that is arranging, um, like a little doodle doot at the end of a, of a vocal phrase, or da 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 ba da bump the end, or whatever. If if the composer didn't write it and we add it, that's arranging. If the composer did write it and we strip it out, that's also arranging. Um, it can also be transforming something, like in. I don't know if you saw the movie of Be the live action film of Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. The arranger of that film took the song Beauty and the Beast from being in 4 4, dun, dun, tale as old as time, two, three, four. He, they went one, two, three, tale as old as time. They put it in three. Instantly, new song, basically. But that's, it's a pretty simple adjustment to change the time signature, but it, that's arranging because Alan Menken didn't write it in three, you know, um, just to give you an example. Orchestration, very on a very literal level, taking the notes that are on the page and assigning them to instruments of the orchestra. Um, so the usual order of business for us is complete the arrangement, usually in a, a piano score, maybe for more notes than a pianist could literally play, but we express our ideas in two staves, usually two, sometimes it takes more staves if there's a lot going on um, in a in a piano form, so that we can see it all collected in in a small visual space, and then we blow it back out uh, into all the instruments of the orchestra. Sometimes orchestration includes some arranging. Like you're gonna, if you only had the notes the pianist or the only had the notes the composer gave you, and literally could not use even a different octave of that pitch or something, you'd be pretty hobbled, not hobbled. It would just be more limited what you could do. So adding the octave above the melody on the strings 
is kind of arranging, but it's also just taking their notes and moving them to a different, you know what I mean? It's, it's like really <laughs> splitting hairs sometimes between the two jobs. Um, Another example of uh, a place where arranging and orchestrating overlap and it's hard to separate them is in what the drums do and in what the guitar does. Because for it to feel like a drum or feel like there's a groove happening in the drum set, you have to write notes that don't exist on a piano. So that is technically arranging um, and orchestrating at the same time, mm -hmm. for, at least in the way I think of it. Often though, especially with pop music, when you get the piano part, the drum groove is kind of buried in the piano part. And it like, if there's a lot of activity, but like the same note over and over again, it usually to us, it signifies hi-hat or sometimes it's a, a guitar pick action, like ding, 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 like that same pitch being repeated on a guitar. So we're kind of decoding what the composer has in mind. And often we're able to strip those repeated notes out of like the piano never plays that. That's the drums. The piano is just playing block chords or something more flourishy. Um, so it's like sleuthing and designing and composing and uh, it's all the things. But it's also collaborative. So when we say, here's what we think, is that what you had in mind? Then they say, yes, but that should go. Or I don't actually like the bass clarinet, which God forbid, you, God for right. We love it, but if sometimes they don't like it, so we change to a different instrument. Um, and that's those are equivalent. If you compare what we do to lighting design, yeah, I'd say instruments of the orchestra are comparable colors. to colors of light, yeah, and in, in and intensities of light. That was an incredibly good explanation of the two of them because I, I honestly had no idea exactly. And that, you know, laid it out perfectly Um, for because on orchestration, I kind of had an idea, but arranger, I really didn't have. And that thank you for laying it out that way. Um, I'd love to get an sure. example from Clico, for example, because I know last time we talked, you were working on that. You know, an example of arranging and orchestrating. How did that work for you guys for that show? specific thought go but you oh all right well we both have ideas so <clears throat> who knows we may even be thinking of the same exact spot that never happens we're talking a lot um there's a a song called barrels and casks for which we made a dance arrangement and uh we had some guidelines from the director and the writers about what the story of the dance break needed to be and for as we thought about it, we knew that there were certain elements they told us flat out needed to be there. Like it needs to feel Russian a lot of the time. It needs to be like that athletic Russian style of dancing, like the number from um, the Nutcracker where they're doing all the, the Russian split leaps, but right? He also, Barb Nicole also uses a sword to open champagne bottles. Like that's a thing she is on record as doing historically. So they wanted that in the song. And they also wanted her to dance on top of a barrel, like rolling the barrel. So that was where the song had to, that was the, that's the end of the dance break is she's on top of a barrel. So, so in the middle of this dance break, there's one specific spot I'm thinking of since you asked about arranging. Mm -hmm. um, we, we thought it would be good to whatever music we put in this Russian musical garb, we wanted to 
cross-reference melodic material from elsewhere in the show. Um, and the, the place that stuck out to us was when her husband has died and it seems like everything has been lost and she finds a way forward anyway. And that song is called One More Beginning. So we took the melody of one more beginning, one more try, and we put it in a minor key and put a, a driving kind of Russian ballet stock sort of beat behind it. One more beginning, one, or no, one more. How does it go in minor? One more beginning, one more try. Bum, bum, bum. Instead of one more try, turn it minor. With like um, all these rush, uh, what do you call it? Big split leaps with crash cymbals on them and flourishes in the woodwinds. We basically have to choreograph the number before it's choreographed. So we're in our in our basement like, oh, yeah, leap, leap. You know, like we're, we're imagine, none of us, neither of us can dance. No one wants that. But we, <laughs> we're imagining what, the choreographer will do eventually. We know what dance looks like. Yeah. We can identify dance. We just don't execute it very well. <laughs> um, so anyway, we, we brought this idea to them of like, what do you think of hearing this tune treated in this way with this kind of accompaniment? And their response was when we got on the Zoom with them, they were jumping around the living room doing the dance themselves. <laughs> we're like, I guess that means we stuck it. <laughs> um, another moment that I remember that was really enjoyable, but took a little like, it took a second for them to wrap the for the writers specifically to like get on our wavelength was in the opening number which takes place during napoleon's rise to power um there barb nicole is a child she's in a an all-girls school like a very elite school and right outside the school there are cannons going off and gunfight it, it's really hairy and so her the family dressmaker runs to her aid to like rescue her because she can she can dress down and nobody will think she's a, an aristocratic person so she swoops in to save barb nicole and as they're trying to make their way back to the family's home they are ducking in and out of dress shops and and abandoned buildings just to be safe and the chorus sings this very major, like, if you're not revolutionary, we're, we're going to cut you down, basically. And so we, they had already juxtaposed the dressmaker and Barb Nicole hiding against the revolutionaries coming to get them. But we turned the, one of the scarier moments, we turned the revolutionaries theme minor, because we wanted it to feel like an attack. And we also took out, we shaved some beats out of the out of the rhythm of the song. We took a few bars and made them in three, four instead of in four to just make time move a little quicker. Like it's more desperate and more scary. And like your heart is skipping a beat. Yeah. It's disturbing. Yeah. Uh, and the effect is really surprising and exciting. But like when we played it on our the notation software, the writers were like, that doesn't sound like our song anymore. But the more they like unpacked the details of it, it 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 felt like suddenly it is actually really right. It they just had to like live with it a little bit. Sometimes it's that initial shock of wait, what have you done to our baby? Because <laughs> we yeah. can always do it. We can always go back. Always. Um, but if nothing else, it's it's a fun exercise to for us to uncover some stuff in there that they don't even 
necessarily aren't aware that they did or like wouldn't wouldn't have thought of because they know the their original version of the of the material um it's always just a joy we do have other tricks besides taking songs in a major key and turning a minor but so we didn't <laughs> the same thing but we thought we thought of the same technique well but yeah mine had a rhythm thing too oh all right <laughs> well mine had sleep yeah yeah so, so that actually brings up an interesting point. I'm, I'm curious, how do you divide up the work? Is, is there one of you that, you know, you, you acknowledge that maybe they're better, at, a little bit better at the orchestration or the arranging or the rhythm or something like, I'm curious, how do you two break it up? Um, do you? Well, a couple things come to mind. One is just our way in in the first place. Whoever has an idea, just mm. shout it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it can be anywhere in the show. So a lot of times there's a song, sometimes it's the opening number, but most often it's something simpler, like a solo um, that has a really, really clear tone. story and yeah. a really obvious tone that we're like, I think this song in this show should do something like this. And the other will say, what? Or we'll say, of course. And then we're off and running. But we usually try to find something that feels iconic, like this moment or this song encapsulates the sound of the show because if we can find a way to demonstrate how the whole show is going to sound or like what the basic approach is going to be that's a really good place like a touchstone for then all the other songs um i would say generally between us frank is more um instinct driven more intuitive and is more likely to have a flash of an idea that he doesn't know where it came from. Um, so a lot of times our first step comes from him because he'll say, this show needs to have a bass saxophone in it. I'll say a bass sax that's so big, nobody owns one. And he'll say, but, but I just know it belongs in this show. And then we talk it out. And I, in the process of talking it out, we learn where that instinct came from, which helps us understand the world of the show better mm -hmm. um and then we can start extrapolating from that one little tidbit other information and other details uh we we usually get some limitations imposed on us uh many of them come from budget like how many instruments can we afford or how much space is there in the pit how many instruments would even fit mm -hmm. uh, in the theater um which is great because it uh, as opposed to having a wide open like eternal field of choices like yeah any instrument you want it gives us some constraints um to work within which is actually really useful um but i think part of what you said about my intuitive leaps i i don't have the he has a you know composition master's degree so his his understanding of the technicalities of music and the and um notation and all the he, he just has more experience in that department so i think i don't i'm not held back by those techniques i just imagine something and i say okay make it so and we or or challenge me or you know give me an alternate idea um and i think it's a really good combination and discussing it like you said before we we always edit each other so before anybody else sees it 
it's already gone through a round or two or three of refining and filtering and stripping stuff out. Um, so it's not like a, it's not a first draft. It's like a fourth draft, you know, by the time we share it. Um, which makes hopefully the ideas we present in our first shared draft with a composer more robust than they would be if we were working as, as, as uh, solo flyers clearer too. Uh-huh. Um, because our choices are, are thought out and mm -hmm. defensible. Um, we usually do a rough, like a broad strokes pass through a song and then Matt will go, he'll take our notes that we make together and he'll implement them in finale in, in a piano staff or a scratch staff. And then we'll listen through it together and find the spots that we did too much. This is too busy. There's not enough going on here. This chord, something is wrong. What is it about this chord? It feels angry, but the moment should be sad. Or like there's so many angles and so many levers that you can uh, pull to adjust um, what how it feels and the story that a, a number is telling. And that that's really gratifying to like just listen through it and then shave away a little bit or add a little bit here to make it bigger. Um, I find I enjoy getting notes from the writer and the director and the choreographer and whoever else has notes to give us. I enjoy receiving them and taking them more with Frank and me working as a team than I did when I was uh, uh, working on my own. Um, partly because if I don't get it, he may be able to explain it to me or vice versa. Um, and partly because as much as we enjoy the discussion we have between us when we're drafting our first pass at something, it isn't real until other people get involved. And um, if they don't get what we were, if they don't receive what we're throwing down, then that tells us we need to refine it or say it more clearly or have a better idea, or it gives us a, a way to, to uh, recalibrate. Um, which is really good. And my, like Matt was saying, my intuitive leaps, I have always had those ideas. I've always heard it very clearly in my head, what the music could be doing or should be doing, but our working together has made me use my words more mm -hmm. and unpack what I'm, what I'm thinking like, okay, why did I have that intuitive leap? What does it mean which has made me a better collaborator as a musician, but also a better director because I often, when I direct, I also have these impulses, but I don't, I didn't always transmit the why. I would just say, it should be this. Okay, why? Use your words. So I'm, it's gotten better. Yeah, this the two of you, the, the relationship, the working relationship of skills that you bring to the to the party uh, just sound incredible because you know there's symbiotic the venn diagram you know where it overlaps and what you don't necessarily aren't as strong as for lack of a better term you know you have mm -hmm. them but the other has and yeah just the way you guys talk <laughs> about it and and everything it sounds incredible so yeah i love the the sound of that um, what are some of your favorite do. projects that you guys have worked on? Uh, Clico, you've, you've worked on, what are some of your other projects that uh, you've done together? We have been pretty lucky. We've gotten to do 
a wide range of types of projects from children's like children's theater tours to uh shows for disney cruise line um we're gonna score our first documentary in the next couple of months uh which is a new department for us to branch out into film music um i think our first off-broadway show together which was called found um by Eli Bolin and Lee Overtree and Hunter Bell um, is one of my favorites because the, the story is so bizarre and the the music is so interesting and catchy. It all the music in the show, almost all the music in the show is based on found text, like a love letter that was found on the street or a picture found on the subway, like people, find these things and send them into this magazine found magazine and eli the composer lyricist took these this text that is not metered or rhythmic and is not necessarily in a form of a song and he found a way to create cohesive and hilarious and or touching like the songs are so exciting and unique and varied and they're all based on someone's real experience and we don't know what is we don't know what's behind that letter or tape or photo but what he found just in the surface of the text is really fun and to get to to work on something so unique uh we've done three iterations of that show since 2014 14 yeah 14 was our first time yeah yeah so that's a highlight um on kind of the other end of the spectrum, that was an orchestra of six. Mm-hmm. Um, so orchestra is maybe a grandiose word to use, but <laughs> there's a violin. <laughs> it feels... uh, but it, it was pretty intensely designed because we had six instruments with which to represent a, a really wide variety dial of styles. Range. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so on the other end of the spectrum and in scope is the set of shows we've done for Disney Cruise Line, which were orchestrated for a full symphony orchestra, like uh, the size of a film orchestra, 60 to 70 players, um, which is (laughs) a thrill. And using very well-known material, we got to orchestrate Part of Your World. We got to orchestrate Be Our Guest. We got to orchestrate uh, Go the Distance. um, And different versions. Like we were able to, to do, we arranged these shows as well as orchestrated them. So we did Beauty and the Beast for them in 2017, The Little Mermaid and a new musical review called Seize the Adventure. Those were both last year for the brand new Disney Wish, the new ship that launched. Um, So to have the resources that Disney has at their fingertips and be able to take these beautiful and classic, really well-known uh pieces of musical theater and do something new with disney and not just you know in your mind in your car wishing you could (laughs) sing this a different way like was such a gift and standing in front of 65 musicians at abbey road and conducting them playing our arrangements and orchestrations is that was dream life-changing uh pinch me um another (laughs) one that comes to mind uh, swinging back to the smaller scale uh end of things was our production of Into the Woods that we did with Fiasco Theater, uh, also in 2014. And um, the reason that is so special to me, there are many reasons, but uh, the Fiasco's perspective on the story uh, was was uh, very special. 
it, that's material that is important to both Frank and me. Um, uh, just personally, we both have history with the show Into the Woods and care about it a lot. And so getting to to break into the script and deconstruct it, script and score, and put it back together again um, with 10 actors playing all the parts. And um, and you at the piano. And me at the piano. <laughs> on stage, with, on a wheeling platform. <laughs> as lean an orchestration as possible. We, we used a lot of uh, found objects we used as percussion. We used the walls of the set, which were made of old piano soundboards. Um, so good. Tricked out by our sound Thank designer, you, Darren West. Darren West, right, <laughs> to be able to make special sound effects. Um, and then instruments that the that the cast played, we we built that orchestration from the ground up. So Jack and his mom, their the sound of their part of the story was guitar and banjo it was like down home, instead of of all you know. I think in the original version, as much as I love it, all of the all the characters kind of exist in the same sonic world, and this gave Jack and his mom were a really different vibe from Cinderella and the prince, and a different vibe from the baker. It it made it made them stand out in a new way. Um, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, there would always be somebody playing a toy piano every time she skipped on stage. Um, and with only a handful of instruments available, every choice we made really stood out uh, conspicuously. Uh, that, that was great fun, partly because we got to return to the project over and over again. We did that show four times in all, um, that production. And every time we returned to it, we got to layer in more details. So what's what's coming up in the future for you that you can talk about? Is there any projects going on? Um, there. Wow. What can we talk about? There's a like I said, we so in 2021 in the fall, we were had this really interesting uh, experience. We were able to musically direct um, a, a high school show choir's 20th reunion. So they, this is a high school in Virginia. They, they had a show choir that was, uh, they still do it, I think. But the 20 years ago, they were very prolific and got a lot of awards and did a lot of, they did a lot of competitions and stuff. And the the woman who ran the program was very um, influential. And so during the pandemic, this, the whatever class 90, no, 2000, 2001, whatever that class of, they had gotten back in touch on Facebook or social media and were reminiscing and, oh, wouldn't it be great to sing together again? Oh, wouldn't it be great to, to do a concert and like honor the teacher that made us all like, like instilled this love for music and dance in us. And so the producer of that project is one of the choir members as well. And she called us because we'd done some theater things with her. She said, would you be willing to help us resurrect our set from 20 years ago? and do it as a as a concert for this teacher, but also I wanna film the whole process as a documentary. And we had three days of rehearsal, and these are people who have not sung or danced really in, in 20 years. And, you know, they knew they were going to do it. So they, she sent them all music and we sent them recordings so they could relearn their harmony and the choreographer sent them videos to remember what the, the choreography was, but, it was crazy to to be involved with a thing like that so deeply and to get to help these people put on this amazing 
show, which was nostalgic, but also gorgeous in like them coming together again after so long and being in person after COVID or not after it was still, you know, a thing, but it was life-changing for them. And really after that, after filming it, we realized, you know, if there's going to be music for this documentary, it would be really fun for us to do that. It's a world we've wanted to branch into anyway. So we're in the documentary because we, we musically directed it, Matt conducted the performance, but we're also going to be writing the film scoring for the documentary this summer, hopefully. So that should be a really interesting and exciting new thing for us. Um, uh, we're in talks to orchestrate a couple of shows besides Clico. Uh, one is called My Pet Dragon. That's a story of addiction and recovery. Um, and uh, more details to be revealed in due time on that. We're, we're doing some solo albums yeah, because uh, we have a record label. Um, I, uh, In addition to the orchestration and arranging of Clico, I'm also co-producing the album and we're releasing it on our label. Um, so in addition to that, we're doing a solo album for Jessica Fontana, who's a Broadway actor uh, that we've worked with. And I'm... I can't wait for that. That should be this summer. We'll be releasing that album. Uh, we're looking at, uh, we're in talks for a project in Shanghai, which would be sometime next year in 2024. <laughs> um, and we have wanted to travel to China. So this may be the chance we get. Uh, hopefully things will be <clears throat> such that it's okay for Americans to go there and uh, do some work because we would love to go visit China and bring them some wonderful musical theater. <laughs> wow. that You're going to be busy. <laughs> like, like, and I hope yeah. that all that comes through. That's incredible. Um, Frank, Matt, thank you so much for, for coming thank back you. on again and, and talking about yourselves and what you do. Cause I learned so much. Like I said, I had no idea what an arranger and orchestrator did. And now I totally do. Um, so thank you for, for coming on and talking to us again. Thank you. No problem. But before we go, uh, I, I like to ask three questions of our guests and there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, but the audience is judgy and they may say it's a wrong answer. So, but I can't <laughs> control what they think, um, but, uh, I'm going to ask the three questions. I'll let each of you answer. Um, so question number one. Uh, what creator or team within musical theaters had a great influence on you? Now, it could be a composer, lyricist, director, producer, arranger, actor, stage manager even. could be somebody famous or not famous, like a teacher. Is there somebody who's had a huge influence on you? Uh, Matt, let's start with you. Sondheim. Yeah. That's a complete answer, I, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really, do you have to say any more than that? Like. <laughs> it's like, but I, I can elaborate a little bit. Um, uh, first, I've been an admirer of his writing and of his uh, craft for as long as I've been aware of him. Um, and uh, I have been moved by so many things he has written through the years in a kind of a shocking variety of styles and subjects. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to meet him and work with him a number of times. So He's uh, he's somebody very special in my artistic uh, outlook and experience. Wow. Frank, um, I was Sondheim was on my 
my short list as I was listening to your question. Um, but actually, I think the person that I'm going to say is Mary Mitchell Campbell. Mm -hmm. um, she is someone who, well, she musically directed and orchestrated the production of Company that Matt did. Um, and she also orchestrated and, mu and uh, music supervised a production of Merrily We Roll Along that we both worked on. Uh, I was her copyist for that. And meeting her and working alongside her and uh it's been besides inspiring and instructive it's also opened up a lot of new experiences and opportunities for us because she's she's a very um generous collaborator and she wants to raise people up as they've been you know she has done a lot of uh supporting young artists or up-and-coming artists who are in that side of the music you know of the musical theater uh because it's kind of hard to break into it so we've gotten to orchestrate like broadway backwards and a show for deborah monk's birthday like just she's thrown some really cool opportunities our way and we are forever grateful to her uh also barbara pasternak who's the artistic director of theater works usa she's the first person that we'll thank in our tony speech <laughs> so i figured i'd throw her a little love here <laughs> Nice. she gave us our first job orchestrating together so yeah uh being talking about someone on a sh our show and the tony speech same parallel i believe um in most uh -huh. people's this movies. is a rehearsal for that <laughs> exactly <laughs> both correct answers both great answers one point each um question number two now weirdly enough spaghetti has come up twice or three times in this conversation either be in long island or throwing it against the wall question Who's better at making spaghetti of the two of you? Frank. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and, and why is that? Is there something that you do or just genetic? I think it's in my DNA. Also a lot of experience. <laughs> okay. I would uh, say pasta, you, you know, mac and cheese is a specialty of yours, but that uh, specialty is the strong word to use in a, a circle. A favorite. Uh, like desert island food, perhaps? Yeah, food group, maybe, yeah. but specialty. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Frank, I have to give you the point, um, Matt. Sorry, it, because he is the better, I guess, at making spaghetti. So, uh, Oh, that's point. the basis on which points are awarded. I thought it was on the the uh, veracity of the answer. <laughs> um, nope. uh, no, not in this case, no. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm kind of making it up, so... Frank. All right. of that is by law mine because we're married oh true Not to put too okay, i'll figure points. this out at the end when i tally up the points um question number three right. maybe the most controversial one of them all which is worse right. food in the theater or cell phones in the theater cell phones cell phones okay any any particular experiences with people with cell phones i remember when I was a kid and cell phones were not nearly as prevalent as they are now, but they were out there. I was seeing a show at the Coconut Grove Playhouse in Miami and Len Cariou was, it was a one man play where Len Cariou was playing Ernest Hemingway and somebody answered their phone in the middle of just answered it. It, it rang and they answered it. And he just stared at them. He, I think Patty Lapone hadn't been invented yet or something. Like she hadn't 
she hadn't yet showed us how to deal with cell phones in the theater. So he just, I think he was dumbstruck at what was happening as were the rest of the people in the audience. Um, but I've had that experience where Betty Buckley yelled back at somebody in the in the mezzanine. I was like, I've been in the theater when some weird shit has happened with cell phones. So I'm not a fan. <laughs> I, to me, the reason it's an issue it's it's not like it should be criminalized. I don't like think terror should be rained down on people you know, who the, offend. The seat should drop into the alligator pit into the, beneath yeah. the theater. <laughs> but the the reason it distresses a lot of people, us included, is that when you walk into a theater, something is about to happen that requires everyone to participate for it to be what it is. We're gonna play pretend. You need to be in it. Yeah. And if you're out of it you're also taking the people who are around you out, whether it's you scrolling Facebook or listening to music, like whatever you're doing on there, you're not attending the tale. And as our friend Stephen Sondheim says, we it's like, attend the tale. It's like blurting out the ending. It's like a spoiler or it's, it's just as unfair to everybody. It's not in the spirit of what the event is. I don't fault people for not being sensitive to that if they're first timers or if they've just never been fortunate enough to be uh, to be willing participants in a culture like that. But it's so special and ephemeral and fragile. Uh, it it just is a real letdown for for it to be burst or spoiled in that way. True. Sure. I 100% agree. What year, Matt, was that? I mean, Frank, sorry. What year was uh, that with Len Carew? How early was that? Uh, Approximately? 91, 90, something like that. It was a while ago. Wow. That may be the earliest recorded complaint about a cell phone in a theater I've had on the show. Um, so <laughs> thank you. That You know what? That gets you an extra point. So, Oh, my gosh. Um, so Matt, I agree that all points should be shared because of this. So um, congratulations, like five points. I don't know. <laughs> so you win. We, we win regardless. Either right. way. Never been, yeah. We have all these points to share now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that Because of that extra point and the sharing of the points, you too may have reached the highest point total ever in Be Our Guest. Not that it's a competition, but I'm going to Disneyland. Because <laughs> I just won the point. Do I get to come? Oh, Do I get to come? Absolutely. Oh, okay, great. Oh, nice. Please. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why would I go to congratulations to both either. of you? <laughs> I have no prizes, but you can you can brag to everybody about um, winning this. I don't know. <laughs> I got we will. We will. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um uh, frank matt thank you again so much for coming on and talking to us uh, it's been a sure it's been sure pleasure uh getting to know the two of you and, and learning about what you do and uh yeah if you ever have anything else come back on let us know we'll help uh promote sure. anything like that uh because you know this community right. we help each other and we got to work together to make us better and stronger so Thank you. Well, if it's not us, we'll send you some other fun and interesting people with amazing projects because we happen to know a lot of them. So we're very lucky. <laughs> Please do. 
please do. Awesome. Uh, so thank you to uh, both Frank and Matt for coming on today and talking to us about uh, their careers and what it's like to be an orchestrator and arranger and everything they ever did with their lives. <laughs> and, oh, thank the two of them. Tune in next week as we'll speak with another guest or a guest about their life, love, and passion that is musical theater. I am your host as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.